This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got books. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls girls who read. read. Hello, sad girls. Hi, sad girls. Girls and gays and bays and welcome to our show. Dogs. Welcome to the circus. Trees. Welcome. This guy. Allegra's happy today, so she's going to lead us. I'm going to lead this this train wreck. I'm going to steer a little bit. No, I, I am happy today, but I'm also like, I think I'm just happy because I got a haircut. Yeah, but you also have like newfound hope. I have newfound hope. That is for sure. But God, I mean, I feel like we've both just been sad girls. Why have you been a sad girl? Allegra, shut up. You know, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> shut the fuck up, bitch. Well, everything feels strange i don't even like want to go into it i always say this i'm like i don't want to go into it like oh i don't want to talk about it 45 minutes later i'm like and then (laughs) and then you cannot believe the way (laughs) she looked at me no it's uh, i'm i'm like angry this week which is a different emotion usually i'm sad or anxious i'm like angry sad and i just need to figure out a way to let it move through me and move forward. But tonight is when like a lot of stuff happened career-wise. I found out a lot of stuff. So I am in a heightened, angry place. But it's okay. I'm it will so be. Sorry. It's okay. I um, feel anger and I feel like so many of us are afraid of that emotion, but it's such a healthy emotion and it's a healthy response to loss or other painful things in life. Yeah, it's just a question, how do you, and I've worked on this, when I was growing up, anger was like something that was like we weren't allowed to do because one of my parents was super angry and abusive with their anger. So then if I ever showed any signs of any anger, it wasn't good. So I don't really know what to do with my anger, I feel like as an adult. I kind of, I I go on walks, like I do yoga, but how do you express your anger? That is, I feel like that's such a, an important piece. And that's why a lot of people are afraid of anger is because sometimes people respond to anger in really unhealthy ways, right? Like Mm -hmm. someone in your family responding to anger in an abusive way, isn't healthy. The emotion in and of itself can be healthy, but the way that we Mm -hmm. respond cannot be healthy. So I would say finding healthy ways to address it and process it. Like, kickboxing things that let out that anger you know what I really want to do is one of those like smash rooms oh my god I want to do that okay I have to admit it so the other night I didn't do anything bad but there was like a I get these like it's like with my I don't know I'll explain but there was a like a candle thing that I had a like a tea light candle in and it Mm -hmm. like so I was like, you know what I want to do? And I just like pushed really hard. And then the thing like cracked and it just felt like such a great release. Uh-huh. 
I think we need to go to one of those places where you can just like fucking bang in plates and TVs. Wait, we should totally do that. And it'll be sponsored by no CD. Sponsor us, no CD. No, I really think we should. It like releases so much. Yeah, it's just finding good, healthy ways to let it move through you. Because right now I just feel like it's kind of stuck and it's not really going anywhere allow yourself to feel it that's the biggest thing i think when we feel angry we get afraid of it and we want to suppress it and we want to hide it name it allow yourself to feel it journal about it talk to someone about it i just let some out allegra i love that it's good thanks baby i'm going to no cd i'm going to ocd therapy twice a week which is kind of iconic i love it so how is it i just love it She keeps asking, I love my therapist. Shout out to Nicole. I freaking love her. She keeps asking, is this too much? Do you want to slow down? Are you ready to move? I'm like, yes, like give it to me. I love this shit. Like I understand ERP is hard and it's super uncomfy, but like I love it because I'm going somewhere instead of just sitting in this awful place of stuckness. That's fabulous. You have hope, right? You're doing about your symptoms, even if it's difficult, suffer in the right direction. That's what I like to say to clients. Like, yeah, treatment could be hard, but you know, what's Mm -hmm. also really hard is like sitting here and fighting with your OCD all day. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. I'm having a good time. I like learning new ways to deal with ERP. We've done like, you know, the hierarchy Yes. So I'm at the very bottom of it. And we did like the first exposure. How was it? It was fun. Not fun. It was, I was annoyed the whole time, but it was really interesting. I saw the way that it can work and I'm trying to bring little pieces. If y'all don't know ERP, Allegra can explain all of it. I don't know how to fucking explain it. But one of the things we're using is maybe, maybe not. Iconic. Have Have you done that one? Yeah. And I feel like, like, are you using it as a way to not engage with OCD or as a way to like tolerate that it might be true to not like jump on the spiral. So it's like, I'm having this thought, okay, maybe that is maybe not. And just stop. I love that as a non-engagement response. So not engaging with OCD, like maybe, maybe not. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Now, I think what people have trouble with is sometimes people like clinicians will say like, but you have to accept that like you might be. And I think that like in the case of like, Mm. there's differences with obsessions, right? In the case of like pedophilia obsessions and violent Mm -hmm. obsessions, like I don't need my clients believing that there's that they could. But for other obsessions, right? Like if someone's primary fixation with relationship obsessions is like, Mm -hmm. what if? you know, it's not the one and we don't last like they're get divorced. Right. There's not that. Right. Exactly. There isn't as clear certainty, but I think we can get certainty quite a bit at the time. So it was Mm -hmm. a non-engagement response. Fucking fabulous. Or like, "Hmm, there's that thought. Okay. Yeah. Another one that I like is okay. Thanks. Yes. Literally. Okay. Thanks. It's been really illuminating to realize that you don't have to act on thoughts and you don't have to believe them. I used to think, oh, I'm thinking this, this has to mean something. Yep. Because why, why would I be thinking it? And my therapist explained a lot of people have thoughts and then they just kind of 
pass through. And we are like, oh, I had that thought. It has to, it has to be this. Yep. Like she gave me the brain of someone without OCD versus a brain of someone with some OCD and how they responded. And it's, I'm finally seeing, oh, not everyone takes their thoughts so seriously. A thousand percent. And especially when like the OCD brightness wired differently. Yeah. Like certain thoughts for other people come and go, but for us, it's like your brain flags them and you get so stuck in them. Mm-hmm. God, it's so interesting. So for you, like what is, as I learn more about ERP and different tools, what is your favorite tool to use? Like how, when you're in like a sticky spot? That. It depends on the situation. My most favorite tool when I got treatment like eight years ago was a heavy lean in. So if I had a thought like, what if you want to stab someone, then yeah, I want to stab them and I want to eat their dead body. Like I make it worse. I one up it to show the brain like okay. I the shit. Yeah. So it's like, what if my partner's not the one? Yeah. And he's ugly as fuck too. You just like go yeah. there. You don't believe it. You're not saying things you believe. You're just like making the thought worse because mm-hmm. it ultimately like takes the power out of it. Mm. But now in my stage of life and my stage of recovery, I'm actually diving into something called inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy. And oh, I know that. It's different than, no, my trainer earlier goes, what are you reading? Cause we were on the roof. I'm like, babe, you would have no fucking, hey, you have no idea. Therapy textbook, basically. What um, is that? It is all about resolving obsessional doubts and it's a bit different than ERP and it basically shows us how we reason our way into obsessions. Mm. And I think for me, like I have like the blend of like trauma, which has flared up recently. And then that trauma can like flare up the OCD and it's the perfect storm. So it really is like, it targets inferential confusion, which is like a fancy word for like we get very, we get very wrapped up in like imagined possibilities mm-hmm. that aren't actually happening in the here and now. So it teaches you mm-hmm. how to trust reality without trying to look for it, without trying to search for it. Mm-hmm. A lot of like reality sensing and deconstructing the obsessional narrative so that like you don't doubt anymore, which is it all ERP. Yeah, it all comes back to just being more present, which is so much easier said than done being more present trusting yourself trusting your world oh god it's so complicated and there's so many different like tools and ways to go about it there's like cognitive therapy there's mindfulness skills which i love there's exposure there's inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy so it's a lot yeah, but it's it's cool and it's, it's cool fantastic that other things especially are coming out like inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy has been around, I think, since like the 90s, but it's really just hitting in the US in the last year or so. And what's the difference between that and ERP? I'm I don't understand the difference. I'm not an expert in ICBT yet, so I'm probably not the best person to ask, but ultimately ERP goes for either like habituation. So you like habituate to the anxiety provoking stimulus. So let's say the fear is like, what if I stab my spouse? You use knives over and over again and you learn knives aren't that, you know, dangerous or I'm not dangerous or inhibitory learning, which is you learn safety essentially. A lot of ERP clinicians will say like there is some amount of uncertainty that we have to tolerate, you know, like 
we have to tolerate that we could be a pedophile technically. Whereas ICBT says like, you can fully resolve that doubt. Like you can get a hundred percent certainty that you are not that. And it like, I'm again, I'm totally not like, I'm not an expert in it, but it, it basically talks about like how we reason our way into the doubts and like the context in which the doubt occurs. I'm really bad at explaining this, but no, it's, it's okay. more of like a, it's like an upstream approach. Then ERP is more of like a downstream approach. It's so interesting because I feel like different themes should have different ways of like different ways of, uh, fixing not fixing but um treating the problem because like you said like pedophilia and harm subtypes shouldn't be treated the same way really as relationship or in relationship shouldn't be treated the same way as contamination that's what i would think like everyone's about, yeah specific. i feel like exposure based stuff tends to work really well for contamination i mean exposure the research shows that it works like, I don't know, mm-hmm. 70% of the time for OCD period, you know? Yeah. So I do think that like different tools can be helpful for different themes. And again, other OCD specialists would say otherwise, they would say the content is irrelevant. The content doesn't matter. We treat it all the same, but there definitely are nuances, especially if someone has a history of trauma, when you think about shame and stigma. But I feel like everything we've done so far is kind of just tolerating the uncertainty is that not what there is a role for tolerating uncertainty Uh absolutely true again i'm like just digging into this but like ultimately not like yes tolerating uncertainty is a natural part of life but obsessions tend to be very irrational and ego dystonic and like Mm -hmm. therapy ultimately whatever route you take should get you back to a place of like trusting yourself more and trusting yourself in the relationship more Mm. it's not that uncertainty doesn't exist right like i genuinely don't know if i'm gonna meet a partner or not but Mm -hmm. like there are things that we can know Mm -hmm. and our brain like really hijacks that when it comes to ocd and so therapy ultimately should help you like learn to trust yourself more in reality. Yeah. All I've done so far is kind of just like sat with the uncertainty and kind of kept coming back to, yeah, it's possible, but it's not probable. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Right. Like talk, like talking back and like noticing the, the voice really. Definitely. Yeah. And then also looking at like, what is keeping you bought into the obsession, right? Like Mm -hmm. are there certain, like, I imagine like if we're looking at some of like ICBT's reasoning categories, personal experience would be a big one for you. Personal experience with divorce, right? Yeah. Really like looking at what is keeping me bought into this thing when like, there's actually not evidence in the here and now. Um, Bronwyn, who I was consulting with today said something so intelligent. She said, stop looking at evidence that you are a pedophile, a murderer, a terrible person in your relationship, look for evidence that you're not, right? Like Mm. you're probably ruminating about like, I need to figure out why this could be the wrong relationship. Mm -hmm. You're not looking for evidence why you would be a pedophile. Like the goal is to see that there's no evidence that you are. And Mm. that's really fucking interesting. Like building your case for yourself instead of against yourself. Exactly it. Like not buying into the obsessional story, finding like the real story. 
this is obviously done with a therapist over time. Like people can use that compulsively. And then also said, we're trying to accept reality without trying to convince yourself of it. And like reality sensing is the very last piece of ICBT for that reason is like, if I'm in a flare up, which I have been like, I'm looking, I'm I'm searching for the right feelings in reality. We want to be able to Mm. notice reality without convincing yourself. You Mm. don't want to go around being like, no, I love my partner. Of course I love my partner. I love my partner because of X. You just want to notice that love that you have. Yeah. It's like the checking is, can be compulsive. The checking kills, kills. I posted about this on threads. It's like, yeah, it's like, duh, if you're constantly scanning to see if you feel something, you're going to start uh-huh. feeling numb and you're going to yeah. start feeling fucking anxious. And like detached from everything. everything. Like, Which is like how I've been feeling and how you've been feeling. You're not living. You're just no. fucking checking. That's And that's it. You're in your fucking imagination. Uh-huh. In your imag- I think ICBT would call it like imaginal absorption. You are mm-hmm. literally living up here instead of with everything that's in front of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, isn't that iconic? It's iconic. I want to talk to Bronwyn. Bronwyn is actually just fucking brilliant. Like, understands trauma and OCD, which is like I, I hate saying this out loud, but it's so hard to find therapists who do mm-hmm. both. It is. It feels like you are looking for a fucking unicorn. Mm. Because if there's a history of trauma and you have OCD, like, yeah, you go to a trauma therapist, of course, but like, they're not going to get it as much if they also don't get the OCD. Yeah. You either have to have like your regular therapist work with your OCD therapist, or ideally they should just know both. And that's like unheard of. That's going to be my goal when I figure out my own, when I like work through my trauma, which is like my healing era. I want to do both. I want to be a PTSD and OCD specialist. You should because you have had such a hard time finding one. And I'm like, also, I am traumatized. Traumatized. Is this wrong with me? She said, no. Welcome to the stage. Traumatized. (laughs) Nothing's wrong. Yeah, my brain feels. I need a. Do we need to carve something out? <laughs> yeah. Do we need to do some search surge? Surge Should we talk, Should we talk about the book? Okay. So first and foremost, my question for you is, did you like this book? And like, why did you like this book? Okay. So this book was recommended to me by my friend Ricky. And I am so glad that we read this book. It's we haven't even said the name of the book. The book is The Rules of Inheritance by Claire Bidwell Smith. It was a memoir about she lost both of her parents. But on the back, do you have the book with you? Can you read the back? Because I love the way that they describe it. A powerful and searingly honest memoir about a young woman who loses her family but finds herself in the process. In this astonishing debut, Claire Bidwell-Smith, an only child, is just 14 years old when both of her charismatic parents are diagnosed with cancer. What follows is a coming-of-age story that is both heartbreaking and exhilarating. As Claire hurdles towards loss, she throws herself at anything she thinks might help her cope with the weight of this harsh reality. Boys, alcohol, traveling, the anonymity of cities like New York and Los Angeles. By the time she's 25 years old, both her parents are gone. And Claire is very much alone in the world. 
Claire's story is less a tragic tale and more remarkable lesson on how to overcome some of life's greatest hardships. Written with suspense and style and bursting with love and adventure, The Rules of Inheritance vividly captures the deep grief and surprising light of a young woman forging ahead on a journey of loss that humbled, strengthened, and ultimately healed her. I love. Gorgie. I love the part that it said that it was less a tragic tale and more a remarkable lesson on how to overcome some of life's greatest hardships. It's giving Cheryl strayed. That's why, honestly, I was sold on the book, too, after my friend Ricky recommended it because Cheryl Strayed wrote the blurb and Cheryl Strayed is mom bay she wrote wild and tiny beautiful things would love to talk to you Cheryl so we're actually going to talk to Claire so this episode is going to be a little shorter we're just going to give our insight on how it affected us but we're going to save a lot of the juicy questions for Claire because yes I like- did Colin kill his sister? Oh my God, help. Okay, Colin did you gave that me. Colin killed the sister. She said it at one point. I don't know, but he gave me ick vibes. He gave me, reminded me of this kid I dated in high school and like gave me like icky ick. I feel like he could have killed someone. Yeah. Well, she said it at one point. She said, da 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 da, Colin killed his sister. I was like, I like missed that. How did you feel about the book? As a whole, okay. I know Allegra, you really love this book. Love, 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 love for so many reasons. A, I see myself in it so much, especially obviously not like dead parents, but grief and just like tragedy that can happen at such a young age that really does upend your life. Like when she says, I'm 28 years old and I am drowning, like it just so much of it reminds me of the journey that I've been on. And I also love that she was like working in the entertainment industry and then went back to school to become a therapist because of what she had been through. And that's exactly my journey was like entertainment industry and then going back to school to specialize in the very thing that affected me. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that one time you said something like Allegra only likes like the dark traumatic books. And I feel like Claire so perfectly touched on why you know Mm -hmm. at the end she says every time I came across someone else's story each time I found reassurance that I wasn't alone in my grief process I relaxed a little more like that is me when I read books like this when you see yourself in a book it just makes me feel so like valid and seen and not crazy because someone else is going through it too And you bear witness to like such intimate, deep pain, like the, you know, the men and the sex and the alcohol and just feeling like you're never going to get better and the hopelessness. And like, you just see the whole fucking journey and it does make you feel so much less alone and so much less crazy. Absolutely. I really liked this book because it was really dark and deep and it went through all the emotions she was at the lowest lowest lows but she ended on a high note and she did find peace and she did take her pain and helped other people and she found her family and community it's hard for me to read a book where and i know this happens in real life so it's important for us to read books where it ends sad but i felt like this had a happy ending and that's why i really really liked it i can't first of all i can't believe that she went on to work in hospice I know there's gotta be, I mean, when I read that, I was like, gosh, that is so 
that must be so painful. But for her, I think it like rejuvenates her. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, who else better to work in that? She had been experiencing death her whole life. She knew it so well. God, it it felt like it and it kept coming and she never really was like, poor me, poor me, which is what I feel like I do a lot. She her both her parents died. Then her friend died. Then she had that ovarian thing when she was pregnant. Gosh, and her abortion. Yeah, I know. She went through all the things. I feel like the way she feels about hospice is like when people say to me, like, isn't working with OCD so hard because you have it? No, like I actually feel like it helps me so much. Mm -hmm. I think community is so important if you're helping people or attending group. If you can put yourself in a community of people who are like-minded and have been through similar experiences, it only makes your experience that much easier. And you just get it. Mm -hmm. It's the same. You're speaking the same language. Yes. Did you like the structure of the book, how it's structured through like the five different stages of grief by Elizabeth Cooper Ross, and then also how it goes in and out of time? What did you think of that? I loved it. I loved the five stages of grief, which I knew a little bit about. My mom had explained to me a little bit about the five stages, but it's really crazy hearing Claire's account of the five stages and how she really went through each stage. I also loved that Claire wrote this book in prose. It read so easily. It was one of the easiest novels I've read. It felt like she was just speaking to us. Did you feel like that? Oh, yeah. I thought it was so well written, mm-hmm. so easy to read. And po- it was like a beautiful poem. So pretty. The only thing I had a bit of trouble with was I, I think when we went back and forth through the ages sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit disoriented. I was confused as to where we were in the story, but I love that she played with time in that way. And I feel like so often with memoirs, like at least in writing classes that I've taken, it's like you start here and you end there and it's very chronological. I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm going to jump in and out of time in my memoir. So I love that she did this. And I love that she essentially like the frame of it was, her life in every single stage of grief, which I thought was super intelligent. And Mm -hmm. also cool because I know sometimes people don't like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief because they think it's supposed to be like a healing map. And really it's just giving words for common experiences of grief. It's not like this is how you grieve. And you can go in a different order. You can skip a step. You can do one step twice. But I do love that it it gives you some sort of map to bounce around on. Absolutely. What I was thinking about, I'm so curious as what you think. So obviously this book is about grieving dead parents. Mm -hmm. And my experience of reading it was like, God, it sounds like you had such a fucking wonderful mother. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like you had such a great dad. And Mm -hmm. God, that has to be so damn hard to lose it. Mm -hmm. But like, what is it like? to have that in the first place because like I didn't get that and I'm having to grieve parents who are still alive. So it brought up the question of like, is it better to have loved and lost than to have never loved it? You know, like, and I know that that's probably a really fucked up question, but I just kept thinking about grief when your parents aren't dead, but when you never got that kind of parent and you don't have that kind of parent now. Or 
you got that kind of parent, but it was abusive. And then you decided to step away from an abusive relationship. There's so many ways it could go. I mean, we have to talk to her about this because I would love to hear her opinion on not what, which one's worse. Yeah. But- it's not even necessarily what I'm asking. It just poses the question, you know, of like, it's just is the grief. This like, is the healing the same? How right. do you even go about it? How do you? Right. And it's like, I'm reading this, like, this is so goddamn tragic. And I'm also reading it, like grieving the fact that I didn't have the mom that she had. Mm. And that's so wild. Like I can grieve while reading about her grief. It's so meta and interesting. Yeah. I, I felt the same when I read about how close she was with both of her parents and how difficult it is to grieve someone that is alive when you're estranged from a parent, because sometimes this is controversial, but sometimes it feels like it would be easier if they weren't alive because they made the choice not to be in your life. You know what I'm saying? So how do you grieve someone that's alive? Let's ask her. She needs to solve this. Claire, you need to solve this for us. We need an answer. Fix us zombie barbie boys yeah or like you just have to grieve the fact that they were never capable in the first place which also fucking sucks mm. like it, it also reminds me if we're gonna like tie this back to ocd hashtag no cd sometimes people will say like my onset was rapid at 19 whereas some people don't ever remember life without it so the question often gets asked of like is it worse to have experienced the 19 years prior to the onset and then realize how fucked your life is when the OCD comes on? Or is it worse to have never known anything other than OCD? Like that question gets posed constantly in the community. And it kind of reminds me of this. But maybe they're both bad in different ways. Oh, like, like everyone, I I don't, I've been thinking more and more about this when I go into, like, I'm experiencing something. I'm like, oh, I wish I just had a different like subtype or I wish I had a different mental illness or I wish I just like different, 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 but someone with that could be experiencing just as much pain. Like we don't, we're not in anyone's head. So we don't know what everyone else was experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. Like there is no, there's no hierarchy of pain, but I do think that some things inherently are more tragic than others. And I think both yes, those tragic. things can exist. And yeah. I feel like sometimes like on the internet, it gets so black and white and people don't like to admit that, but it's true. Like pain is pain is pain. And like struggling with POCD and wondering mm-hmm. if you're a pedophile is probably a lot more difficult than having like a bit of generalized anxiety around tests at school. Like it just, I mean, is, you know? I mean, Allegra tests are like, it's a test. No, I'm kidding. You know, yes, I'm not saying absolutely that one is painful than another, but if you're looking at it like one is inherently more shameful, stigmatizing. Yes, definitely shame and stigma behind it, which causes more pain from the person experiencing it. Right. Definitely. And I also feel like it might maybe it is harder to grieve parents when like you did have that. In the mm-hmm. same way that it's so hard for me like looking at life before the onset of OCD, it's so difficult because it's such a stark contrast. Mm. whereas maybe if your parents were never that great in the first place like the grief doesn't feel as deep oh i don't know it's so hard and it's so hard to know how to grieve because there's so many different ways and it's so personal and i feel like at least i never feel like i'm doing it right 
And I feel like, you know how you've seen that map? It's like grieving isn't linear. It goes like this. So is healing. Healing from OCD. Like every time I have a relapse, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm at the freaking beginning again. I Everything I've done is worthless. But I do feel like it's about the long game and just holding, holding on. Holding on. <laughs> Hold on tight. Um, hold on tight, honey. But there were so many quotes too that I feel like I really want to ask you about that. I just kept bringing this back to OCD. And I think it's because so many of us grieve the experience of OCD. But she talks about on page 284, spending the majority of her adult life thinking about what she does not have. She says, for a long time, I could only look at my present and my future through the lens of my past. My parents' death colored everything I saw. And I feel that so much with trauma and OCD. Do you feel that at all? That like your struggles color everything and it's hard to connect to what you do have. Yeah, totally. And especially when a traumatic event happens and it's just like so big and so sudden, it kind it colors is the most beautiful word. It everything's a different shade that you can't see what reality was or could be because it's, it's affected by it forever. Yeah. It's hard to see. It's hard to see the world clearly. Yeah. When it's like this thing has taken over and Mm -hmm. I do, I feel like that with trauma and I feel like that with OCD is like, sometimes I do feel like it has colored so much of my life, Mm. you know? especially if you're in a flare up, right? It's like you, I can only imagine I'm not, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's like, you think about your wedding in the future and it feels like triggering. I think about having kids and, oh my God, is that going to be an OCD trigger? Like you do start to see the world through what it is that you're going through. Mm -hmm. But like, there is Mm -hmm. so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that I resonated with that I want to ask you about is like grief never going away, just being covered up. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like you're in like a quasi recovery where you feel recovered, but you've actually just covered up a lot? I never know the right way to go about things. Yeah, no, I I totally feel that. And I do feel like we as a society, especially now have found lots of ways to cover up our grief. We are addicted to the internet, social media, working, drinking all the things and it's hard to sit with your shit and that delays healing for sure for sure I feel that especially like in the context of OCD and trauma I feel like because I function so well that like it does it has not only have I functioned so well but I moved from like starting my own PR firm at 23 I had this like huge PR career to then going right back to grad school, to starting out like working with OCD as a therapist. Like I feel like so many of my achievements and the way that I pushed forward have been a mask for the grief. And I don't actually think that I've ever really processed like the emotional impact of OCD on my life. It's like, well, I've gotten past it and I'm now a therapist and that has to be enough. And I kind of like sugarcoated in that way. And that's just not enough. There has to be that deeper healing. And I think I'm finally at a place where I recognize that like, I have so much more to excavate in my healing. I think I've just covered a lot of it up by like helping out the OCD community and being an OCD therapist. But like, there's so much more underneath that needs to be digged through. Does it scare you to 
dig through it? I feel very hopeful. I feel very hopeful. It do- it scares me in the sense of like, I get a little bit of like fraud syndrome. Like how are you a therapist and still having to dig through your own stuff? Like, mm. but like you said the other day, doctors also need surgery. Yeah. Like where I'm a human. So, I mean, I feel a little bit like an imposter, but I also feel very hopeful and like this could free so much of like what's happening for me Mm. it's Mm -hmm. scary but it's so fucking freeing to say like let's get to the root like let's cut to the bone and let's like fucking get this shit out you're scared you're like the bone the bone i just don't like saying cutting to a bone that scares me um like doesn't bother me in the slightest but for someone with harm ocd they'd be like no i just don't I just don't like blood and like, you know, what's another like getting to the source of the wound, the root, the root. Yes. There we go. Getting to the root. I feel like I like chopped my hair off today. I'm ready to just like fucking heal. And And by the way, this might be the case for you too. I think it's often necessary. Like yes, ERP and effective OCD treatment can really help with the symptoms of OCD, but there probably is another like emotional processing and a deeper layer of like what could be worked through after you manage the OCD symptoms. Especially with trauma, I feel like that's something you have to manage your whole life. It's like healing is every day. You can get to the root and you can work on healing it, but you still have to implement the tools every day. Yeah. At least I I do. I'm just ready. I'm like the, I don't know the covering it up really just like it fucking nailed me and nailed me. Mm. I am totally. Jesus Almighty. She is Jesus. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. One of the quotes that I loved was page 101. She's on the bus and she said, I realized no one was going to save me. And I just really resonated with that because I feel like sometimes we're just waiting and we're placing our shit on everyone else. And and, and I know it's annoying and I resent. I know a lot of people with mental illness resent having it. It's It's not fair that we have it, but I think owning it and taking responsibility for getting better is something that Claire did and it made me hopeful and it made me want to get better the way that she just got through her shit and made herself happier yeah and like really like a lot of the times there isn't this like external thing that is just gonna fix us you know like of course there are people and there are therapists and but like it does require that internal work Mm-hmm. And I think specifically for her, that was part of her denial, which can happen with grief. I think she was just waiting for her parent to show up. Mm. She was waiting for something to like, or someone to save her. I mean, look at her relationship with Colin. 
I think that that was like wanting, wanting someone, even if it's an abusive person. He was foul. No offense, Colin, but he was foul. But I I still fucking relate to it. Like when I dated a Colin. Yeah. When you're in the grips of shit for years, I did. You can hook on to someone or something that is so unhealthy for you because it feels like at least I have this in the midst of my pain. Especially weren't they dating when her mom died? So she had that other connection. It kind of felt like she was holding on to the last piece of. Or was it? I think it was after the mom died, but she was like dating Christopher. But before the dad died. Yes, before the death side. Yeah, and it can feel like, oh my gosh, I want to hang on to like a piece of that world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even if it's not healthy, it just feels familiar. It feels safe, safe in quotations. Right. And like the sex when she was describing, I think I dog eared that page when she went to San Francisco with Christopher. So she says, All through my visit, I throw myself at Christopher. I even tell him I'm in love with him. We sleep together one night. It's a detached, ugly thing. I want so bad for him to love me. And it's something I regret before it's even over. I am someone I hate before the thing is even done. I fucking resonate so much. Mm. I've been there so many times with sex. That's such an awful. It's the worst feeling. You use so icky and you and like an object and it's like you're just trying to make that person love you and it's obviously the wrong equation but you're also trying to like heal something in yourself through sex and it just traumatizes you further oh claire girls the virgin reborn virgin reborn allegra is a virgin I'm not a virgin, friends, but it's been a minute or two, a three, a four, a five, a six. No, she's not a virgin. She's only spiritually a virgin. I I actually was thinking about that. I want to, like, redo my first time. You can do that. I really think that, like, the next person that I'm with, I need to have a really healing, like, restorative experience. And yeah, that's you- I'm not holding out for any of these fucking losers. I'll I play the know. drums in the background. <laughs> I'm like walking the in bongos and lingerie, and you're like, no, it's bongos, so it's with my like palms, and I'm just like staring, and there's like candles around me. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. You are such an icon. I would love that for us. Yeah. So we're gonna ask Claire a lot of amazing questions. We have so many good ones. So many good yeah. ones. Yeah, and in, in true sad girl fashion. Um, I'm unhinged today. Thank you for bearing with me. Iconic. Iconic. Anything I like else? Our unhinged that? episodes are just the best. They really are. Well, remember our, our Jeanette one was pretty unhinged. Like that was the day that you were really upset, and I had just found out really bad news about my back, and wow. we were just unwell. And that has 10 times the amount of listens than any other episode. Why? I feel like people do just like to hear us talk. Like even Rennie is so funny. She's going to come on for sad kids who read. She said, I don't care that you spoil all the books. Cause I love listening to you two talk. 
Oh my god. I really feel like the people just love us. My mom's boyfriend, Gene. Hi, Gene. He texted me and goes, I loved your Hello Beautiful episode. And I was like, thanks. Did you read the book? He's like, no, but I may now. I was like, you are so cute. Sweetie. Sweet boy. This is so beautifully written on a craft level. And I just think to do what she did and to go back and to dedicate her life to this is just such like a selfless, beautiful thing. I can't wait to talk to her. I love her. I want to be her friend. So apparently, I think she said she has four kids. That, oh my gosh, that. The, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and because you loved this so much, was the end. When she gets her husband and she gets her kids, like, what were your thoughts about that? Like, did you ever feel like you weren't going to get that life, but then it came to you? Yeah, and I'm still sabotaging it. No, I'm kidding. He <laughs> he. I love, I love your that. Ring, by the way. It just looks so cute. My engagement ring? Yeah. Thanks, Where baby. did you get it? From Keith. No, obvious. I'm like, <laughs> no, but like, was there like a store? From, from your dad. I'm kidding. <laughs> from Ronald. No, it was from Catbird in Brooklyn. I love Catbird. You got your ring. Yeah. I literally went into Catbird by myself a year and a half ago and was going to buy myself something. It's the cutest shit. I'm all about buying yourself rings and flowers. But anyways, you're well, we want that B ring. We want the yeah. B. We need to reach out. Do you think they'll just give it to us? No. No, it's like a four thousand dollars. <laughs> it's like $7,000. They're like, no. But that ending was, I was in shock at how they met first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Like, how did they meet again? I'm sorry. Emailing. So they were, he was a writer oh, and yes. I think they were going back and forth about something in writing. So they had only talked over email and then they started talking on the phone and then she flew to Chicago and fell in love with him. Does that give you hope, Allegra? It gives me so much hope, especially because in one year, her life changed. Like she not only met him, but was married to him after one year. And like baby on the way. Yeah. And I feel like that's how it's going to be for me. I really have always said this. I feel like I'm not going to have like a 15 year relationship before I'm married. I feel like I'm going to meet someone and I'm just going to like know and go. And that's it. Like, I really do think it's going to be like a a quick thing. And it, it gives me hope because like, yeah, I'm 28 right now, but I feel like so often you hear about like, you have to date someone for six years before the mm-hmm. engagement. And it's just like, Everyone's you don't have to do friends. anything. But no it also room. triggered you when she said you must not doubt at all. Oh my god, I know because OCD is the doubting disorder right. and like I feel like that can't be a fair not for people with OCD. Maybe yeah, for if people you're doubting really doubting because of other things, yeah. Yeah, like if you're in an abusive if you're normal. <laughs> What'd but you say? I said if you're normal and you have reasonable doubt, yeah. but if you have obsessive yeah. doubt, that's so different. It makes no sense. And she what went back heck? and she got oh, she got married where her mom did. We love you, sad girls. And then our next book is Paris, the memoir. Oh my god. 
Bye, Sad Girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our Sad Girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at Sad Girls Who Read and TikTok at Sad Girls Good Books. We love you, sad girls.